0: Investors Chronicle.
1: Welcome to the Companies and Markets show. It's Thursday, the 27th of April as we record. It's been another exciting week full of new company information and new developments for us to assess and that's exactly what we'll be doing today. We are going to start with this week's US tech earnings, Alphabet, Meta and Microsoft. And we'll discuss the CMA's blocking of Microsoft's $75 billion deal for video games maker Activision Blizzard as well. And we'll touch on our cover story this week, which is on Big Tech's AI prospects. Then we're going to look at interim figures from vehicle testing equipment, manufacturer AB Dynamics. And we'll conclude with a discussion of London Stock Exchange, one of the many companies reporting trading updates today. Joining me to discuss all of this over the line are Mark Robinson. Hi, Mark. Hi, Dan. Julian Hoffman.
2: Hello, Dan.
1: And in the studio, we have Mike Fahey. Hello. And Arthur Sants. Hi, Arthur. Uh, Hey, Dan. Uh, Arthur, we will start with you because we are going to start with technology, uh, Alphabet and Microsoft figures, first of all. Q1 results out earlier this week, and they staved off some investor fears, specifically of uh, advertising slowdown and moderation in cloud computing growth.
3: Um, yeah, so Alphabet and Microsoft were the first two out on Tuesday, and there's concerns with Alphabet around advertising. Um, in recessions, advertising is always sort of said to be the first cost that is cut from companies. And last year, there was a slowdown in advertising. But Meta shareholders would be pleased that advertising revenue from Alphabet increased 1.9% uh, year on year in the quarter, which was ahead of analyst expectations. Meanwhile, Meta, which reported on Wednesday, also saw its revenue go up 3%, which is largely driven by advertising. So in general, advertising hasn't performed as badly as people were expecting, which has pushed up these companies' share prices. The sort of reasons that I've heard was sort of A, advertising budgets have been cut by companies, but it means that actually they're giving more of their money to the big advertising companies because they want it to sort of be safe on their returns and Google meta have historically really high returns on advertising Mm -hmm. so although they might be cutting their budgets elsewhere this sort of means maybe a bit more is going towards these big digital advertisers also with digital advertising the ROI is high but also it is obvious what the ROI is if you click on the ad you can see how successful it is whereas an ad on the subway or an ad on tv you don't actually know what your ROI is on that advertising so Digital advertising. People always said that it might be a bit more resilient than traditional forms of advertising during a recession, and this is actually the first time we've had. We're well in the US. We haven't actually gone through a recession yet, but everyone keeps saying we maybe are or going into one, or in the UK. But yeah, yeah but obviously yeah. that is the concern there. Um, yeah. But this is sort of the first time that um, digital advertising has been the dominant form, and so far, I guess it's holding up wellish. Obviously, relative to pre-pandemic, when these companies were growing at twenty percent. 1% and 3% is not crazy, but it's better than last year when Meta across the year's revenues went down 1%. Yeah. So it's heading in the right right direction for
1: them and Google was similar. So for both of those, it was surprisingly positive on the advertising front. Yeah. Speaking of things growing at 20%, the, the cloud side uh, obviously is still growing very quickly, but there were some concerns last year when the likes of Microsoft reported a, a reduction in growth rates for cloud computing. But again, these figures slightly ahead of expectations, slowdown in that growth rate, which is still very high, was not quite as uh, uh, what not as bad as people thought or not bad at all, really.
3: Yeah, so I think uh, for uh, Alphabet and Google Cloud, it was 28%. And then for Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud computing, it was 30% growth, which is still insanely impressive. Yeah. It's down from higher rates. And the way it works is that companies pay on a consumption basis. So if you're a customer for Azure, you'll pay for how much Computing you need rather than a fixed contract. So, when these companies are trying to cut costs, they might just sort of scale back their cloud consumption, which is why the growth rates have come off like 40, 50% that they used to be down to 30%. But at the same time, the growth rates can also pick up again if companies decide to increase their consumption. Um, These figures were both slightly ahead of expectations, and that's been good for Amazon. Amazon's AWS is still the largest cloud computing service um, in the world followed by Microsoft, followed by Google. And Amazon share price went up off the back of both of them, Microsoft and uh, Google Clouds results. So investors um, were clearly happy to see what their growth rates were and sort of reflected well with Amazon. And then the other interesting thing is that all these companies have been cutting operational costs by firing thousands of employees, but each of them, Google, Microsoft, and actually Meta, which also invests loads in, servers, although it doesn't offer its own cloud computing, like it doesn't outsource it doesn't offer the service to other people, but it uses those computers to, for its own um AI products. All of them have either maintained or increased their capital expenditures. Meta's forecasting around 30 billion of Capex. Microsoft last year was in the 20s, Amazon's was in the 60s. For comparison, Saudi Ramcos is like 50 billion. So Amazon's spending more on capital expenditure than the largest oil company in the world bp was less than all of those all of those companies so you think of these all of these tech companies as being sort of digital businesses but actually there's just like a huge amount of hardware being bought in the background
1: well let's talk about ai a little bit because as i say it is our cover story this week that you have written uh, specifically again through the prism of of big tech and the opportunity there because there's no doubt that ai has become something which you know, in some ways, like a, a blockchain a few years ago, where you attach the word AI to a share price and it, and it goes soaring. But there is you know more to it, needless to say, than there was to blockchain. Uh, and big tech is really in on the ground floor with AI. Microsoft, obviously, with Chat GPT, uh, but the other companies we mentioned as well, all of them have got fingers in the pie, as it were, and they've got prospects there. That capital expenditure, for example, is quite interesting. Last year everyone was, you know, almost laughing at Meta's CapEx spend, because it was being directed towards the metaverse, which people didn't really consider to be a credible future prospect. Now they are potentially redeploying some of that into AI based, you know, capital growth. That's that seems a lot more attractive to uh, to investors. Yeah, so all of them have been actually Amazon
3: was the first in terms of investing in computing followed by microsoft and google and meta was actually behind the trend a bit on the ai front and they said that they've been doing a lot of sort of catch-up capital expenditure in terms of acquiring the gpus which are the chips that do it's in the we'll go into more detail in the future but gpus are these chips that enable parallel computing which is what you need to train these ai models like chat gpt which was trained on a microsoft computer and thousands of gpus um So basically, when they talk about investing in sort of AI, it's basically who can buy the most GPUs. And there's only a limited number of them because they have to get designed by NVIDIA and manufactured by TSMC. Um, So they're all sort of rushing to buy as many of these GPUs as possible. And like Meta thought they were a bit behind the trend, so invested loads last year and investing loads again this year to try and buy as many of these GPUs as possible. Amazon Microsoft are buying a bunch of them as well from NVIDIA. And then Google has its actually has its own parallel computing chips called TPUs, but they're all manufactured basically by TSMC in Taiwan. So they're all just trying to get as many of these parallel computing chips as possible, so that they can build various AI models for sort of different things. Meta's AI focus is mostly around engagement, getting people to like um, spend loads of time on their apps. So I think on the results call, Mark Zuckerberg said that using AI had increased engagement with Instagram by 25%. So people are spending 25% more time on Instagram. And rather than looking at your own friends, I don't actually have Instagram, but I used to, but rather than looking at your own friends' stuff on Instagram, they use AI to send you stuff from elsewhere, kind of like TikTok, mm-hmm. and work out what is going to keep you most addicted, depending where whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for society. But for investors, for Meta, it's good to have people spending more time on Instagram. Um, Meta also using the sort of generative AI, the chat GPT type stuff to, um, lower advertising advertisers costs. So advertisers can go on the platform and then on, um, it's called advantage Plus, And then they use AI to write advertising copy, make advertising images. So, but meta doesn't really care about search, which is what Google and Microsoft are sort of wrestling with each other over, which is introducing these chat bots into their search engines. Um, Microsoft being integrated ChatGPT because they're a big investor in OpenAI, And then Google's got its own chatbot called BARD, which it's thinking of integrating into the service as well. So that's sort of Microsoft's going after Google's share of the search market. So that's sort of going head to head in that front.
1: Because Microsoft is, you know, has got the the investment in uh, OpenAI with a uh, Chat GPT. It's seen as, you know, the the early winner of you know this this newfound uh, investment prospect and Google you know Bard was seems a bit of a disappointment perhaps but there's more to its AI plans than just just that and and you know the, the valuations these companies trade at obviously are much more reflective of their core businesses so in Google's case you know advertising for example uh, search as well but its valuation is is you know on a pure P level slightly below that of Microsoft currently and maybe some of its ai potential is yet to be recognized and yet to kind of come through
3: yeah so out of this group microsoft now currently trades on the highest valuation in the like maybe mid to high 20s in the forward p um they don't microsoft doesn't really have that much advertising exposure as you said about the core businesses and in their recent results they were getting double digit growth from their enterprise software business they had sort of double digit negative growth in the consumer side of the business and they had the cloud business which is growing at 30 percent i mean that enterprise bit of microsoft's business is where they think ai can be really useful so with office products if you have excel word powerpoint if you could get ai to make powerpoints for you like consultants would have all this like a bunch of new spare time where we just need less consultants but you so the enterprise side is where I think Microsoft thinks they can start generating a lot of returns from AI. Google's similar because they have Google Workspace. Google Workspace has has 9 million users, whereas Microsoft Office has 350 million users. Yeah. So the sort of comparison on that side is Microsoft is, just like, is way ahead of Google in enterprise um, enterprise software, which is why it trades on, a, I think, trades on our higher, and justifiably trades on our higher price earnings ratio although alphabet just like was is way ahead of the game or was way ahead of the game in ai and it might seem like they're behind the curve because they didn't launch chat gpt which everyone's obsessed with but they definitely have some really interesting technology going on behind the scenes and a load of computing power mm-hmm. to run these models so saying that this battle or this race has already been decided it's not even six months but yeah since yeah, since December when ChatGPT was launched, so there's still a long way to go. And Google is actually the ch- cheapest out of all the big tech companies at the moment. So it's not it's not a value play, but relative to the, its competitors, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would be. Uh, as you say, it is very early stage, and the computing power is a big aspect too. You know, that's effectively the moats. Well, there, there's two moats around these companies. One is the amount of money they can spend on these things, and, and one is the amount of computing power they already have or have access to. I, I think Google. Uh, alphabet, I should say, was up, you know, about 4% on the, on these figures, but the gains were trimmed somewhat when it said in the uh, call afterwards that it would increase its capital spending on data center capacity, which is obviously going to be a huge thing, not just for AI, but in general in the years ahead, you know, there's always that need to invest in more capacity, but that should give it a good platform for growth. Before we before we uh, move on, let, let's turn to the, um, the CMA, uh, the competition inquiry into Microsoft's would be acquisition of Activision Blizzard CMA has blocked that effectively looks like that spells potentially the end for the deal i mean both Activision and Microsoft has said they would appeal activision was a uh, quite quite strong in its uh, in its comments uh, in response i mean you do always get companies when deals are blocked saying the cma doesn't understand the sector which may or may not be true but uh activision also said the ruling contradicts the ambitions of the uk to become an attractive country to build tech businesses and then and then it went a bit further and said it uh, did a disservice to uh people like us the uk populace who face increasingly dire economic prospects which was maybe a bit of a needless reminder of the situation (laughs) but uh but there we are uh but i mean this deal you know activision shares obviously fell on that but i suppose the other question really is what does this deal mean to microsoft does should microsoft be appealing this decision you know is there an argument that they don't need it or it was you know done at a different time as it were
3: well yeah it seems that I was, Microsoft came out with some fairly uh forceful comments of its own I think around the deal mm. which surprised me somewhat I guess maybe they just have to say it the share price didn't really react for Microsoft share price at least when the deal or the it was announced that the CMA was going to block it so investors don't seem to care that much the deal was 75 billion pound deal for Activision Blizzard it was in january 2022 which is a very different valuation time for us um also on the back end of a massive boom for gaming during the pandemic so these companies gaming companies valuations are much higher and i was looking activision blizzard i think it had just over 7 billion in sales last year so it's like 10 times sales is what they would be paying for it whereas ea is currently trading on five times its sales so it's like a double ea's valuation and should microsoft really be worrying about gaming at all gaming makes up seven percent of their total revenue and has been growing slower than the rest other than personal computing it's been growing way slower than the rest of the business so do they even really need to be spending all this money on on it and actually this deal might being blocked might be might be a good thing for them Although they were very speculative point they made was that maybe there's some grand strategy involving open AI and um, using generative AI to massively like lower the cost of games development. And if they could sort of merge one of the world's most popular games developers with their own computing power, there might be something more that we can't currently see. But at least on the surface, it definitely doesn't look like a bad thing for Microsoft that so this mm. deal is being blocked. Definitely a lot worse for Activision Sheldon. Yeah.
4: yeah. I, I thought the ruling itself was uh, quite interesting, you know, because they, I think the CMA cited that there would be uh, less inno- innovation and less choice for gamers. I mean, it's hardly, you, you, when you compare this to what's happened in uh, a, a more strategically important sector, defense, over the last couple of years, we've seen the CMA uh, rubber stamping deals for uh, first Cobham, I think, and then Mega and Ultra Electronics, too. And you would think that you know, those particular companies that have far more strategic importance, where the UK is concerned. But then again, I'm uh, somewhat oblivious to the world of uh, gaming.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, antitrust, obviously, around tech for for a long time now. Notwithstanding, you know, the, you know, the potentially relative lack of strategic importance from from a UK perspective. But I, I do think cloud computing seems to be something they are regulators are a bit concerned about in terms of how that feeds in how that connects to every other part of the tech universe.
4: and the government obviously made you know noises about uh wanting to establish the the uk as a as a as a tech hub in europe so that may have something to do with it but uh it seemed it just seemed like a, an unusual decision for me
3: mm. yeah i think the main problem is the amount of it's not actually only three percent of all games are played on the cloud at the moment so as a percentage of the gaming market it's really small but just 3% of yeah so cloud gaming is you don't the computing is not done like on your console at home Yeah, it's done in the cloud so the fear is that Microsoft and Amazon basically have like a semi-duopoly and they're actually being investigated I think by Ofcom at the moment around it but semi-duopoly of cloud computing in the UK so if you then uh, start combining with uh, the, if you then they own the game's developers then they control, I guess, the most popular the IP for the most popular games and all of the competing power that people need to to play on Sony, there's probably another winner I guess, out of this because they're the ones who are really worried about with their owner of PlayStation were worried about Microsoft cutting them off and their appeal they sent into the CMA and one part of it they said they were a potential situation that could happen is that Microsoft would make the game specifically so they would get right to the last level
1: on the PlayStation and then cease to work at the last level. <laughs> That's a <laughs> conspiracy theory. Yeah. That, that, that I heard one. Yeah, Activision, creator of the Call of Duty games, of course, which is a particular has been a particularly big success on PlayStation in the past. Anyway, it's time to uh, to move on to our next segment. A very different kind of company that uh, Mike is here to discuss. AB Dynamics, the uh, AM favourite or erstwhile favourite. It had interim figures this week. Uh,
2: figures were quite good as well. Yeah, and um, uh, it,
1: there was a similarity yeah. at least in that the figures were good here too. Uh, it's been quite acquisitive, uh, and one recent acquisition has, has helped drive some of that yeah. growth in so the half-year.
2: Yeah, revenue for the half-year period was up about 30% to 50 million-ish, um, but that was largely driven by although track testing is the biggest side of the business and this is a business that does all kinds of testing for new cars whether that's on track or whether it's in simulators and it was the actually the simulator side of the business that grew much more quickly pretty much doubled its revenue to about 15 million and that was largely due to its most recent acquisitions a company called ansible motion I'm thinking
1: back maybe to your piece for a few weeks ago about you know buy and build companies and oh yeah, and it is perhaps in that mold, albeit yeah the track record no no pun intended is a you know it's not the biggest company yet it' it's been around for for you know well several decades now, but perhaps it's trying to you know cast itself as one of those kind of companies it's got a bit of cash on the balance sheet still as well now so there might be more acquisitions
2: yeah, so I mean this deal um for ansible and ansible's a company that uh has what they call driver in the loop systems which is where a driver sits in a car in front of a massive simulator and they test new models just to show maybe any unforeseen problems when a driver maybe can't react because of the way in which a bit of the car is positioned um but um yeah so it cost about 18 million it does seem to be doing quite well uh, both in terms of Uh, revenue and profitability even after paying for it AB Dynamics still has I think you said 20 million of cash on a balance sheet at the end it's down about a fifth but there's still quite a lot there to play with and when we spoke to the chief exec Charles Ralph he was talking about this giving the company optionality uh, either in terms of going out and acquiring again or in investing in some of the other new business lines
1: those new business lines, there's a lot of different things in development there. I mean, what, how easy is it to assess, you know, when you're looking at a company like this, the risk or, you know, the potential reward of all these various potential strings to its bow in future? They're all very much in keeping with the, you know, the vehicle testing. So they're not, you know, it's not like it's branching out
2: into, uh, you know, video games or something. But I suppose, what well, the one good thing for AB Dynamics, as we've just said, is it's got cash on a balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So it's not borrowing either to invest or to acquire at the minute so you're not worried as much about the the return on capital uh, it does have a kind of uh, margin dilutive effect they, they had this business they started last year ABD solutions where they are essentially building uh, robots or systems that will be able to automatically drive uh, massive off road vehicles whether it's in defence or mining uh, that business as I said started last year so it was massively loss making even in this period um, uh, through an analyst from uh, Libra did some calculations of making it lost about a million so it depressed the overall group margin slightly but again the chief executive uh, argued that it is, it's bringing in some revenue at the minute I think they've got a contract with a Japanese industrial company and they've been doing lots of demonstrations Uh, with the likes of the MOD to prove that these systems work. And he was talking about that being really the key challenge at the minute, that once you show these systems, getting the customer confidence to trust in a driverless system is kind of key to uh, get them to contract negotiation stage, which is where he reckons they are now with this business. And he was talking about break-even for it next year. And for... AB Dynamics op- operates on fabulous kind of gross margins of around high 50s uh, percentage-wise. And he was saying that even this business long run is looking at a similar sort of margin between 50, 60%. Yeah. I,
1: I, as you say, you know, the margins is very good in the business. As one thing to watch for, I suppose, is, you know, the, the working capital arrangements with businesses like this where, you know, you probably need a decent amount of inventory. You're going to have payables and receivables depending on all these different contracts that are being worked through and also in a lot of cases you know given you're working with robots and new systems they take a long time to build a lot of these robots as well so there's going to be some lumpiness there those figures all seem okay at the moment i mean i suppose we should turn to the the main part of the business is still the, the track testing part of the business
2: which is about 70 uh, percent of the business in terms of revenue at the moment um and there's still some decent fundamental Drivers, <laughs> if you would, there as well. Um, there's uh, the voluntary system they have for manufacturers testing new cars. Uh, Euro NCAPs had quite a lot of updates recently. Um, there was a new roadmap to 2030 system that came out in November last year, I think, where testing standards are getting a complete overhaul. There's new testing being brought in for things like automated driver support and or in assisted driving or the assessment of some of the new tech that's being installed into vehicles like uh, seeing machines another aim company has these systems that are put in driver cabs where say bus drivers if they start to show signs of tiredness it will reflect back to the company and uh, I think they use that for pilots as well for seeing machines but all all of these systems a lot of these systems are unproven so um these the euro encampments to put the safety standards in place to make sure that they are uniform across for uh, for all of all manufacturers and there are other things as well that were in there like um i know there was a book written last year by caroline criado perez about how crash tests don't account for women's physiology and it's all based around men so the new Standards will uh, try to reflect that as well and try to uh, incorporate different body sizes for people who may be older and weaker as well. All of those tests, I mean, uh, that the company is should really benefit from it. That and the fact that the there's new Euro MCAT uh, regime being rolled out for trucks. And AB Dynamics has these huge platforms which they stick cars on when they're testing suspension and steering etc and chief exec Charles Ralph says that their system can easily handle trucks as well anything up to 40 tons
1: I mean this is definitely a growth area uh, as you say all the, those developments um, those, those platforms I think was AB Dynamics original innovation I think all the way back whenever it was 25 years ago or so and clearly still going strong uh, Mark what are your thoughts on AB Dynamics? As I said, it has been a popular AIM stock in the past and is on a decent uh, run
4: again at the moment. Well, yeah, I think uh, before you were referring to uh, competitive moats, and I think what's worth considering in AB Dynamics as well is uh, the difficulty it would be to replicate that business model because it is based on you know years of ex- experience, years of uh, uh, data management as well. Um, it was an incredible, incredibly. Popular stock with our readers at one stage as well, and I think um, I think these results, judging by Michael's comments as well, um, it sort of justifies their, their faith in the company. I think um, what happens in the future because it would be interesting. Uh, uh, Michael just alluded there to autonomous uh, features in autom- automobiles, and uh, AB will have to react to that. Um, I, I should. I would think, given the changes underway in the automotive market generally, uh, they, they're going to have no shortage of business going forward, but th- there may well be sort of uh, higher capital demands as well. So um, definitely definitely one to watch as part of that wider uh, supply chain uh, in the sector.
2: It's also, the, uh, as Mark said, it's a very popular stock. It's also kind of very highly rated as well, so there's maybe a little less room for error.
1: I'm still, I'm still thinking about your comment about seeing machines and those services for pilots, making sure they don't fall asleep. <laughs> I think that's raising more questions than it answers for me. Anyway, we'll move swiftly on. A final segment this week is on London Stock Exchange, which had a trading update out today, as we record Thursday. Uh, Julian, this is a company you've covered for quite a long time. Again, a common theme this week. The trading update, you know, fairly decent. And the business, which has obviously been trying to integrate the Refinitiv acquisition of a few years ago, that big deal, uh, seems to be making some progress now, finally.
0: Yes, uh, we're a very long way from uh, the point where uh, London Stock Exchange was our best performing sell tip in 2021. It basically, in, in the intervening time, they've they've integrated Refinitive and they've spent quite a lot of money refreshing that platform anyone who's used icon versus bloomberg will generally prefer to use bloomberg but um they're trying uh, making a big effort to to improve and expand that that program uh, and the way that they're going to do it really is because uh, the LSE has the market data that it can sell then to banks and uh, other financial institutions. The trading update today showed that uh, they're having some success in in shifting kind of bundles of subscriptions to people and getting them to retain their presence. They've more or less finished the integration and um, they're not spending any more uh, CapEx than they've already flagged, which was... Uh, a big issue that investors had at the start of the uh, um, takeover deal—they uh, they end up having to spend more than they thought uh, for slightly fewer savings than most people were expecting. But that 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 seems to the market seems to be putting that behind it, and um, the uh, the result uh, the results are showing that uh, Refinitiv is making some progress. Yeah, and that the LSE now is less dependent on being the kind of Financial plumber for the markets, uh, and it's it seems to be successfully diversifying away from the risk that its its core business uh, is in gentle decline. So there's definite mood and note of optimism, I thought, in the in uh, in the, the trading update, and and also in the the way that the markets reacted over the last year or so. The, the shares, although they've range traded quite a lot, uh, are looking a lot firmer than uh, say this time last year.
1: Yeah, maybe we should just take a step back in that context and talk about the the business of the London Stock Exchange nowadays, which is you know twenty percent nowadays of the business is capital markets, the LSE itself, AIM, bond trading platforms like TradeWeb, in which they have a stake. I think thirteen percent is post trades, so kind of the clearinghouses and things like that. And but two thirds now is this data and analytics business, which, as you say, even though it's probably never going to compete with compete with Bloomberg success, successfully on Bloomberg's terms. It is something that can be sold into banks and be integrated into systems, and they've got to deal with Microsoft now to potentially integrate some of that into Excel, and you know, which should help smooth those kind of sales a bit more. I think.
0: Yeah, it will definitely make a big difference. I mean, we use, uh, you know, like in the same way that we use FactSet to generate our uh, charts and data. Um, you know, using icon in the same context would would make life uh, easier for everyone probably.
1: Mm. You, you talk about the the shares having range traded and there is a potential catalyst for some improvement there as well in that, you know, as part of the definitive deal, there was a lockup period for the likes of Thomson Reuters and uh, Blackstone, uh, the US investor as well, which has just expired and there has been a placing, uh, I think it was the start of last month, uh, where they sold about two billion of LSE shares. So removing some of that overhang potentially could, uh, you know potentially give the uh, the shares room for improved performance by
0: 5% of the total stock. So um, yes, that's quite significant uh, in, in the context of a market cap of that size. And I guess it gives LSE more freedom to uh, to to buy back its own shares as well, so that there there could be a double uh, benefit there for investors because mm. uh, I mean, the the company does generate ca- cash cash handover first, and uh, a lot of that I think will end up in buybacks when it comes to supporting the underlying
1: EPS. Yeah, there has been uh well there has been an announcement of an intended buyback uh, earlier this year and. Maybe, I mean, because Thomson Reuters and Blackstone do still own some shares as well, maybe they'll buy back those shares directly too, but that does seem to be working its way through now. Uh, I suppose leading on from that, the question of valuation, I mean, uh, on a surface level, it's not particularly cheap or it doesn't look cheap compared with some businesses. You know, PE of 20, for well, that's a forward PE for 2024. But when you look at this kind of data business, that is relatively attractive. I think that the peer group, According to some brokers, is around you know twenty eight times, twenty twenty four earnings. So there's some potential there as well for them to close that gap as data becomes a bigger part of the business and as that deal is fully bedded in.
0: Yeah, it seems to be something they discovered by accident. I mean that traditionally uh, the exchanges didn't really bother with uh, the financial data they um, they generated, but uh, obviously now that we, we've discovered the value of that, uh, that gap should close quite significantly, I think, in the years ahead. But uh, it'll depend on, on the business mix as well, whether whether its underlying business in the market stays relatively stable or whether data takes up more of the slack as that sort of seems to be um, gradually declining.
1: Mark, any thoughts on LSE?
4: Just that it was, a I thought, a really encouraging set of results. I think they they boosted uh, the total income by about 15% to uh, over 2 billion uh, pounds now and you've got to remember as well that that result was achieved when primary and secondary markets have a been in you know severe decline so hopefully when the day returns where where listings pick up in london and the secondary market too the, the refinitive deal might actually become a, even more obvious in a yeah. sense
1: on that positive note We're going to end the show. So thank you very much to Mark and to Julian and to Mark and to Arthur and to you for listening. We will be back next week with another Companies and Markets show.